23, um, there's some laws about relationships. I think that's the best uh, suggestion that I have about that. He talks about some that were to be excluded from the congregation. Uh, So chapter 23, verses 1 to 14. No one who is emasculated or has his male organ cut off shall enter the assembly of Yahweh. No one of illegitimate birth shall enter the assembly of Yahweh. None of his descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall enter the assembly of Yahweh. No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of Yahweh. None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall ever enter the assembly of Yahweh. Because they did not meet you with food and water on the way when you came out of Egypt. And because they hired against you, Balaam, the son of Beor, from from Pethor, of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, Yahweh your God was not willing to listen to Balaam. But Yahweh your God turned the curse into a blessing for you, because Yahweh your God loves you. You shall never seek their peace or their prosperity all your days. You shall not detest an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not detest an Egyptian, because you were an alien in his land. The sons of the third generation who are born to them may enter the assembly of Yahweh. When you go out as an army against your enemy, then you shall keep yourself from every evil thing. If there is any, if there is among you any man who is unclean because of a nocturnal omission, then you must go outside the camp. He may not re-enter the camp. But it shall be, when evening approaches, he shall bathe himself with water, and at sundown he may re-enter the camp. You shall also have a place outside the camp, and go out there. And you shall have a spade among your tools. And it shall be, when you sit down outside, you shall dig with it, and shall turn to cover up your excrement. Since Yahweh, your God, walked in the midst of your camp to deliver you, and to defeat your enemies before you. Therefore, your camp must be holy, and he must not see anything indecent among you, lest he turn away from it. Keep remembering the concept that God taught spiritual principles in physical ways in the Old Testament. We see that all over the place. You think, for example, about circumcision. That was a physical action. But the New Testament teaches that there's a spiritual circumcision that we must undergo. Physical circumcision is not important. God was teaching through that the idea of cutting off the flesh, cutting off the sin that is to be applied spiritually. You see that all over the place. So here are some good principles to be thought about in a spiritual sense for us. They were not to allow eunuchs to enter the assembly. They were not to allow those of illegitimate birth to enter, nor any Ammonite or Moabite. Now, In Isaiah 56, when Isaiah is prophesying about the time of Christ, he prophesies specifically that eunuchs and foreigners would be accepted among the people of God. And reminds you that when Philip joined himself to the chariot with the eunuch in it, the eunuch was reading from Isaiah 53 about the death of Christ, He was baptized, went on his way rejoicing, and if he went on his way and kept reading the scroll, within a little blaze turning of the scroll, he would have read that very thing, that eunuchs and foreigners were among the people that would be blessed in Christ. 
So the point here is not for us to have some sort of prejudice against foreigners or people with physical defects, but to learn the idea that we are to be spiritually pure. And those that are impure spiritually and those that are away from God should not be a part of the congregation of God's people. Now the reason he gave for the exclusion of the Moabite was because of that incident when Balak, the king of Moab, tried to hire Balaam the prophet to curse the Israelites. Do you remember what God told Abraham? Those that bless your people, I will bless, and those that curse them, I will curse. So here's an application of that. The Moabites, who wanted to and tried to curse Israel, are cursed to the tenth generation, which I think implies permanent exclusion from from God's people. Um, Not so the Edomite or the Egyptian because of their closer connection with them. Only to the third generation they were to be excluded. Now, when we say all of that, I think we have to take into account that those who were converted to the Lord would be an exception. Do you remember a Moabite that was counted among the people of God? Ruth, yes. She was converted. Your God will be my God as she told Naomi, and so he's not talking about those that are converted to Judaism, but those that remain in, uh, in, in paganism. And then in, in 9 to 14, there are laws about cleanness. You see that God is concerned about a man, even in his most private moments, and he's teaching again these laws about physical cleanness to teach laws about spiritual purity. I've alluded several times, but let me just read. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7, you've got that idea that we see in a spiritual sense. When he says uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Therefore come out from their midst to be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and I, you will be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves, from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So the lesson we learn is the lesson that we must be spiritually pure in everything, just as God taught them in the shadow the lesson of the need to be physically pure and clean in every detail and aspect of their lives. Comments and thoughts about these uh, passages. Obviously, there's several uh, more difficult things in some of these things, but uh, are there some things you would like to say about? Yes. So with the countrymen, um, or not the countrymen, the foreigners, they, I must have missed something. They're not allowed to be in, come into the, uh, to the congregation, right? The Moabite and the Ammonite, never. The Edomite and the Egyptian, all men to the third generation. Unless they're converted to the Lord. I think that's the case. Okay. Well, that would make sense. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it something that makes sense. Makes sense. It's good. Nicole? Uh, is that the same then for those that illegitimate birth? Um, I don't know that it is in that case. I think the illegitimate birth would have disqualified. Um, he goes on to have various laws. Uh, let's go ahead and read these, and we'll just kind of talk through them. Uh, 15 to 25. (laughs) 
<coughs> you shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst, in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns, wherever it suits him. You shall not wrong him. None of the daughters of Israel shall be a cult prostitute, and none of the sons of Israel shall be a cult prostitute. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a dog into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow. For both of these are an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not charge interest on loans to your brother, interest on money, interest on food, interest on anything that is lent for interest. You may charge a foreigner interest, but you may not charge your brother interest. That the Lord may get, your God may bless you in all that you undertake in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what he has passed, what is passed from your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised to do with your mouth. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall put none in any bag. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. Okay. Several interesting laws here. You have an escaped slave. I believe the idea of this, he's escaped from another country, from his master in another country, and he's come to find asylum among you. He says, he shall live with you in your midst, in the place which he shall choose in one of your towns, where it pleases him, you shall not mistreat him. And the idea is that they were not to extradite escaped runaway slaves from other countries. That was diametrically opposed to the whole tenor of slave legislation in all the ancient Near Eastern law codes that we know about. There were treaties that dealt with that issue, and they put a lot of importance on returning fugitive slaves to their masters in other countries. Of course, God did not want his people making any covenants with other countries. Israelites had been slaves in a foreign country. He wanted them to respect the refugee slaves from other countries and not extradite them. So that was a principle in which God's people to be quite different from the other nations around them. In 17 and 18, uh, there was... Uh, religious prostitution that was considered to be a, a fertility aid uh, for the ground and uh, God prohibited of course that activity and did not want any of the wages paid for that any of the prosperity gained by that to be brought into the house of God money that's made by illicit means is repulsive to God I think that principle will be true today you know to rob somebody to give to God would be sinful God doesn't want he doesn't need money that's gotten in some wrong way uh, and used in his service. And then in 19 and 20, they were not to charge interest to any of their fellow Israelites. They were to be generous and to loan without interest. They could charge interest to foreigners, but not to the Israelites. In 21 to 23, when they made a vow to God, they needed to pay it immediately. It wasn't wrong for them not to vow, but if they made a promise to God, they had to pay it. Very dangerous to make vows and promises to God. God does not prohibit that. But boy, you've got to take that really seriously. You must not renege on a promise made to the Lord. And then in 24 and 25, a really curious law 
that you could go into your neighbor's vineyard or your neighbor's field and you could pick and eat. Now you couldn't take anything away. You couldn't put something in your basket. You couldn't harvest. You couldn't use a sickle. But what you could grab with your hands and eat as you were passing by, you were allowed to do. That reminds me of what uh, Jesus and his disciples did in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. Since the land was God's land, he had the right to say, travelers, people passing by, have the right to get and eat something right then. Really practical law, if you stop and think about it. Because the farmer is not going to miss the little bit of food that the traveler is going to, to eat along the way, and it avoided the need for McDonald's and things like that. You know, it was... You know, we have a hard time when we're traveling. You know, you either have to stop and pay money for food at a place, or, or maybe you have to carry food with you that's kind of cumbersome and difficult, or maybe you just don't eat. But for them, they could just they'd be walking along the road if they saw something they wanted in their neighbor's vineyard or, or field. They could just grab it and eat it on the spot. So those were some of the laws that he has here. I think understandable laws in this case. What comments and thoughts do you have on all those? Yes, uh, Alex. Would that escaped slave be a free man at that point? I assume so. Mm-hmm. Looks like he's given liberty and can choose where he wants to live and so forth. <coughs> yes, Jerry. Um, will he have to leave if he doesn't abide with God's rules? If he doesn't become... I suppose he would be punished if he didn't abide by the rules. Um, when people escape from sin, oftentimes we we push them away as some kind of black sheep. But here, God wants us to accept them. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. You said the slavery running away was from foreign countries. What happens if the slave runs away from within Israel? I assume he's to be taken back to his you know, There was, was not, uh, a, that would not have been allowed. Of course, every seventh year, the master had to release the slave. Other thoughts? 